1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends
0: Collection. The only way is through. A new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood. The
2: reason I won is because on that day I was confident. I need to continue that mentality to understand that I can be an Olympic athlete. I can compete with the best in the world and just
0: perform. Listen to The Only Way It's Through. Available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking about Rhonda Rowdy-Rousey. That's right. She's so rowdy. So rowdy. Everyone has been talking about her. And I did not follow MMA, mixed martial arts. Really? At all. I still, honestly, I don't. Get out. But you can't
3: not pay attention to Rowdy Rhonda. Well, I, I had managed to still not really pay attention to Rowdy Rhonda. Um, I also don't follow any sort of fights. Dude roommate. When we lived together, was always shelling out big bucks to watch MMA and UFC fights on pay-per-view. Um, the dudes fighting, not not Ronda Rousey. Um, but I know that he, for one, is definitely impressed at her prowess. You can't not be impressed by her.
2: And yeah. speaking of pay-per-view, he might have been a little frustrated had he bought her history-making fight with Kat Zingano when she knocked her out. Well, I guess it's not technically like a knockout, but Zingano tapped out, basically surrendering, after only 14 seconds. I watched the fight, Caroline, and then I watched it again because it happened (laughs) so quickly, you couldn't even see it. But she, Ronda Rousey, ended the fight with her classic armbar move where she essentially gets you pinned down and moves your, her thigh in such a way that if you move your arm, she'll like dislocate your elbow. <sighs>
3: That sounds like the worst. Well, of course it's the worst because okay. you gotta win. I'm so delicate. I'm getting lightheaded just thinking about that. Wow, well, you would not last a minute. No. With well, honestly, all she would have to do is like do a fake coming at me move, and I'd be like, "Ooh, I'm sorry. I'll stop. What was I doing? I don't Crouch know. Down. Why am I here? <laughs> what am I doing in this scenario?" Yeah, I heard part of a, um, a Howard Stern interview with with Rousey. And he was asking her, he's like, you know, you're so dominant. You're dominant in the sport. You dominate your fights. What does that mean? Does it mean you just win really well and effectively and fast? And she's like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that, (laughs) that pretty much sums it up. She is incredibly fast. Yeah. She's super fast and she is super dominant. I mean... She dominates the UFC bantamweight division, and she's won all 12 of her fights under that banner. Uh, and I think she's won 11 out of 12 in the first round. So, I mean, it's almost like her competitors don't stand a chance. People have started actually booing her at fights because they want to see her lose. So neither
2: of us, we've fessed up,
3: are hardcore
2: MMA fans. Shocking. MMA, honestly, like, it's hard for me to watch those matches because I don't enjoy watching people beat each other up. No,
3: but honestly, though, sometimes it just looks like they're hugging on the ground.
2: Yeah, it does get huggy. (laughs) And then you're like, "Oh, that's cute. But then you realize how much it probably smells in that hug. Oh, it's so slippery. A lot of pheromones happening. So why, though, are we devoting an entire podcast? to Ronda rousey
3: well i mean it should come as no surprise that she is an interesting character i mean she's a woman in <laughs> i mean i think it's an understatement to say that it's a male-dominated sport um she's also incredibly like we said she's dominant she's super athletic uh she's accomplished she's determined um people have called her an inspiration they've hailed her as a feminist but she's also been in the news for a lot of trash talking both against opponents, against big names in men's boxing and wrestling and UFC. But she's also had really not so nice things to say about the trans community.
2: Yeah, and I think it's worth talking about her because, yes, being this woman who has made women's MMA and the UFC fights even possible, um, but someone whose stardom really skyrocketed in the mainstream this year when she was awarded an ESPY for best fighter, when she beat out Floyd Mayweather, who is a boxer who also has a history of domestic violence against um, former partners, and she used that win to call him out on that. But it was also a jab at him for having previously
3: mentioned in an interview that he had no idea who she was. Well, he didn't exactly say that. Uh, This was back in July 2014. Mayweather was asked whether he would fight Ronda Rousey, and he said, I don't even know who he is. Oh. Yeah. So playing a little bit dumb, and so after Ronda won that ESPY award... Um, she said, I can't help but really say, I wonder how Floyd feels being beaten by a woman for once. I'd like to see him pretend not to know who I am now.
2: And it was really with that quote that she was launched into the mainstream. I mean, people have been talking about her for a while, but suddenly she was on every lady blog that I read, and that's how she came on my radar. But who is she, aside from... An SB winning smack talkin' fierce MMA fighter.
3: Yeah, well, briefly, she is a former judo player and Olympic medalist turned MMA fighter. She actually signed with UFC, which is Ultimate Fighting Championship, MMA's biggest promoter, in case you didn't know, back in 2012. And she, like we said, is currently the UFC bantamweight champion of the world. But you also might know her from roles in Fast and Furious 7, The Expendables 3, and The Entourage movie. Definitely The Expendables 3. I mean, uh, we, I, I was in line for that. I have that on DVD,
2: Blu-ray and VHS, Caroline. <laughs> I was just going to say, but do you have it on
3: tape? Yes. Um, yeah. And so she's kind of following Gina Carano, who's a fellow MMA fighter. She's kind of following Gina Carano's example there in terms of transitioning from fighting over to uh, movies. And I wonder though if it's related because she just announced that now at 28, she just announced that she'll probably be retiring in the next three or four years because she is so dominant. And now that she's getting some movie roles, I wonder if she's like, well, I can just transition and not, you know, dominate these women anymore. Yeah. I mean, she's
2: talked about how she really enjoys acting and being in action films and also doing her own stunts. Mm-hmm. So that seems like something that's super appealing. To her, and will probably make her a lot more money than being a female MMA fighter will. Even though she's the best female fighter out there, the money still isn't as big as what Hollywood would offer her.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And it's also not surprising considering how just in the past few months, I really ever since the Espies, she has become this almost every woman's heroine. I mean, very quickly she was escalated from oh this MMA
3: fighter to feminist heroine? Yeah, a lot of people do love her um just for her personality beyond just the fighting and beyond being an amazing athlete. People just love her as a person. Uh Hillary Weaver over at Bustle, for instance, hailed Rousey for calling the shots, saying what's on her mind, just being open about her fears in addition to being at the top of her game. And the fact that Rousey is very vocal about things like body image, eating disorders and self-esteem. Uh, Weaver quotes Rousey saying when I was in school, martial arts made you a dork and I became self-conscious that I was too masculine. I was a 16 year old girl with ringworm and cauliflower ears. People made fun of my arms and called me Miss Man. It wasn't until I got older that I realized these people are idiots. I'm fabulous. So how could you not love her? Some uh, incredible athlete who's preaching about body acceptance, self-acceptance, self-esteem. I mean, that seems like a great role model.
2: And Rousey has been pretty quotable um, in her career. There was one quote especially that jumped out, not only to a lot of folks on the Internet, but also Beyonce Carter Knowles. Um, she used this quote like up on screen um, during her most recent performance. And it's probably Rousey's uh, most famous quote at this point that she uh, said in a UFC vlog in July, And it's all about being a, quote, do nothing
3: bitch. That's right. So this quote actually resonated with a lot of people, obviously, including Beyonce, who projected it at the Made in America festival. Um, so Rousey says, I have one term for the kind of woman that my mother raised me not to be. And of course, we'll talk about Rousey's mother a little bit more later. She says, and I call it a do nothing bitch, a kind of chick that just tries to be pretty and be taken care of by somebody else. That's why I think it's hilarious when people say my body looks masculine or something like that. Listen, just because my body was developed for a purpose other than bleeping millionaires doesn't mean it's masculine. I think it's femininely badass as bleep because there's not a single muscle in my body that isn't for a purpose because I'm not a do nothing bitch. And so this quote was hailed by a lot of people, especially in the feminist blogosphere, as being empowering. Oh, my gosh. She's encouraging women to go out there and accept themselves and be active and be proud of their bodies, their athletic bodies that might look different from the model bodies you see in magazines. But other people, I mean, it's a mixed bag. Other people definitely took issue with her sort of perceived finger-pointing a name-calling at other women. You mean feminists didn't universally agree on what
2: a celebrity said? <laughs> oh, my God. How shocking. Um, yeah, Alana Vagianos, writing over at HuffPost, said, it left the feminist in me quietly cringing, which is not surprising because there is the woman-shamey element of it where it's categorizing her as really not like other girls. She's not one of those do-nothing bitches. Um So you can see how that could seem feminist, at it's on its face, but have an underbelly of misogyny.
3: Yeah, I mean, I did wonder about that. A lot of her comments, and we'll get into some more of the not-so-nice comments in a second, but a lot of her comments seem to reflect a sort of, I feel, maybe an internalized, I don't know if it's internalized misogyny, but an internalized uh distaste, at the very least, for certain types of women, whether those are helpless women that she she feels, you know, are just relying on other people or not lifting a finger like those DNBs. But uh, Vagianos uh, that Kristen just cited was really worried that Ronda Rousey was like pointing at housewives She's like, well, why are we judging women for, for not wanting to do things? And it's like, well, I don't, I don't know if that's really the context that she meant. Yeah. I think reading housewives into it is a
2: little much, but it is reminiscent of our trophy wives and Mm -hmm. uh, gold diggers episodes where you do have, there are just so many, so many value judgments made on women who, dress themselves in particular kinds of ways and categorizing them all as D and B's, yeah, you could say that that um, can can be unnecessarily cruel and mm-hmm. reductive, um, but I think it's also worth remembering too that at no point up until now, at least not that I've seen, has Ronda Rousey self-identified as a feminist. Am I right? I believe you're correct. But so it's interesting to see how that mantle has been placed on her. I mean, I think she clearly espouses a lot of, you know, feminist ideals and is totally all about gender equality. But I don't know that she cares to be the feminist advocate that everyone...
3: Is trying to read into her career. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's like so so many women who do get uh, stuck with some label or another in the media just because of some quotes. And and I can appreciate her her powerful statements about body image and about following your dreams and being determined and accepting yourself and saying screw everybody else. Does that mean she's a feminist? I mean, that's not really for us to say. And there has also been some backtracking on the feminist
2: blogosphere because of transphobic comments that Rousey has made as well. I mean, she's she's not a, a perfect public speaker in that regard, even with that uh, bustle piece that you cited a few minutes ago. It now has an addendum on there
3: saying, yeah, she said some really great stuff, but also uh, some not so great stuff. Yeah, her attitudes about trans women in particular are far from unique among MMA and UFC fighters. Um, there's a lot of conversation around this because of just the physical nature and the violent nature of these types of competitions. So back in 2013, UFC fighter Matt Mitrione made some transphobic comments about fighter Fallon Fox, a trans woman who came out that year. And Mitrione was suspended for them, not cut. And Rousey responded by saying about... Fallon Fox. She can try hormones, chop peck her pecker off, but it's still the same bone structure a man has. It's an advantage. I don't think it's fair. I understand the UFC doesn't want to be associated with views like Mitrioni's. I'm also glad they didn't straight cut him. And that's a sentiment echoed by UFC president Dana White, who's Rousey's boss, effectively, who disagrees with that whole notion of cis and trans women fighting each other. He also said bone structure is different. Hands are bigger, jaws bigger, everything's bigger. I don't believe in it. So this is not, Rousey is far from the only person in MMA who's espousing these pretty terrible and exclusionary views. And
2: nor was this a one-time incident. In 2014, Rousey told the highly esteemed TMZ News outlet (laughs) that she wouldn't fight a trans woman, specifically referring to Fallon Fox saying, quote, it's a case-by-case scenario thing. I've tried to research it a lot. I feel like if you go through puberty as a man, it's not something you can reverse. There's no undo button on that. Even though there has been research on it, and has found that hormone therapy does diminish your muscle mass. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going, if you're a trans woman going through hormone therapy, I should say.
3: Yeah, this this strikes me as uh people, not just Rousey. I mean, definitely Rousey, but people in MMA having. Uh, definitely preconceived notions and prejudices toward trans people that I think a little education would go a long way towards combating these attitudes. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, her smack talk, she is a smack talker and her smack talk does not stop at the trans community. Um, she made assertions about wrestler Sarah McCann's abilities and dedication because she's a mother. Rousey says, I'm more of a fighter than she is. She has a kid at home, and she has to go home to that kid. I can afford to be selfish where she can't. I'm willing to die in there. Which, of course, is like, are we... Are we really willing to die in the octagon, Ronda Rousey? Um, And I I understand that that's more of like a, I'm going to prove myself at at how dedicated I am, and I'm going to help promote myself on social media by smack-talking my opponents. I understand that this is nothing new in the world of fighting, whatever type of fighting it is, whether you're a man or a woman. However, again, it goes back to like, Uh, feminist in me, like putting my head in my hands and being like, let's not talk smack about women who have kids. Well, and
2: it's how gendered a lot of these jabs are, Mm -hmm. which does seem like a product of that. MMA environment. Um, yeah. but but also too, I mean this is this is not exclusive to MMA and UFC. Um, but for instance, she has an ongoing feud with another fighter named Misha Cupcake Tate, and she said once, I think she probably wears a push up bra under her sports bra. So she's criticizing her for her apparent girliness.
3: Which is crazy to me because Rousey herself has to straddle that line of be the Uh, aggressive fighter who's in tip-top shape and can knock out other women. But you have to be beautiful and sexy and conventionally attractive while you do it. I'm not saying that's right. I don't think it's right that you should have to look one way or another to be an athlete of any kind. What I'm saying is it's just interesting that here you have Rousey who's, Part of her success and her promotion by UFC, who previously had the position of we will never have women in UFC, is due to the fact that she is. I mean, it's it's not entirely due to the fact that she's beautiful. Uh, She's obviously an incredible fighter and an incredible athlete. Um, But so much of that is like, well, she's also really pretty, which helps our promoting her. Yeah.
2: I mean, she's posed on the cover of Maxim before. Um, and not to, not to say that that's a judgment against her, but it does seem like she kind of wants to have it both ways a little bit in that regard. Yeah,
3: you can't, you can't judge another woman negatively for her girliness if you yourself are posing nude in magazines to show off your beautiful figure. I mean, she's, I mean, she's got a great bod. She's a freaking athlete, you know? She's a freaking athlete. She's a freaking athlete. And I think anyone would be
2: hard pressed to deny that Dana White, the UFC president, was not partially persuaded to position her in terms of, you know, kind of opening up UFC to women fighters. If she were not as conventionally attractive as she is.
3: Yeah, because we'll get to his reasoning behind excluding women in a little bit. But uh, Rousey also criticized Chris Cyborg Justino. I love nicknames, by the way, for fighters in general. It's the same thing with uh, roller derby names. I just love them. But yeah, so Chris Cyborg Justino uh, tested positive for an anabolic steroid a while back. And along the same lines of her transphobic comments, Rousey said that Justino ceased to be a woman anymore. In a perfect world, she would be a girl and not an it. Oh. Yeah, so not, she's not up on the uh, uh, acceptance thing. But when I read that,
2: what it reminded me of was that quote, I believe it was Two Sports Illustrated, where she talked about growing up and kids criticized her and made fun of her and called her Miss Man. Yeah. And here she is doing a similar kind of thing yes. to another woman. Yes. We have some internalized things That's going on. That's what possibly. I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Oh man, you know what scares me right now is thinking about Rhonda Rousey listening to this podcast where we're like critiquing what she says and her you know wanting to come and, and beat us up in an octagon.
3: Well luckily there's no octagons at the House Stuff Works headquarters. Yes yeah, so this
2: podcast studio we're in is a square. Yeah, and and
3: luckily there is, like, sound dampening, squishy material on the wall. So if she did come in here and, like, body slam us, it would be soft. Yeah, it would be against padding, so. (sighs) But I do bruise easily. Anyway. Like a peach. Me too. But lest you think that Rousey has not been on the receiving end of Smack Talk uh, herself, we should tell you about (laughs) former UFC fighter and wrestler Tank Abbott, who had some not-so-nice things to say about both Rousey, And women in general, women fighters in particular. But so he, uh, on a podcast, after Rousey's comments challenging Mayweather to a fight and saying that, oh, how do you feel? How does it feel to be beaten by a woman? Uh, Tank Abbott said that Mayweather would absolutely win and said, she's a girl. It's all about this emotional stuff. And he ended up challenging Rousey or any woman to a fight for free. He said he wouldn't even train. Uh, and he said, I'll win and you'll have to make me a sandwich. Oh, See, wow. He also made comments and I won't say the exact quote, but he also made comments along the lines of, but you have to be a real girl.
2: He sounds like a trollish stuff. i never told you YouTube commenter tank. Is that you Tank four, three, five. But speaking of a possible Mayweather Rousey fight. I thought it was also interesting that she has said that she doesn't want to fight him because she does not think that it would be mm-hmm. healthy for the American public or the public at large to see a a guy and a girl fighting each other
3: like that. Well, yeah, she specifically said for, for a man to hit a woman on yeah. TV. Yeah. So that's probably not a fight that you and I are going to see anytime soon and hopefully the fight between
2: Ronda Rousey and two feminist podcasters also not going to happen. Yeah,
3: hey Ronda. Hey. <laughs> hey girl. Hey. <laughs> well, so there's obviously a lot of uh controversy. Uh she's she's not a perfect public figure who is. Um, but as we said, a lot of this seems like it might be some internalized misogyny or internalized conflict over feminine appearance versus uh, maybe masculine activities. So why are people so enamored with this woman? What's what's her story? And first, before we get to her story in particular, her backstory, uh, which in and of itself is pretty incredible, I think part of the the love and affection and fascination, if if you don't have any love for her, is the fact that she's broken through so many walls to get where she is, so many stereotypes, so many cultural fears around women's abilities and what's appropriate and what will sell.
2: Yeah, being a woman who is known for being able to beat people up in as few as 14 seconds, who is also considered a sex symbol to mm-hmm. some is revolutionary um because <laughs> not surprisingly we we haven't always really known what to do with pugilistic women like kind of they've kind of always freaked us out um so the guardian had a great history on women fighters, and mentions how in the 1770s in London, you have the first recorded modern boxing match between Elizabeth Cockney Championess Wilkinson (laughs) and Martha Jones. Side note, Martha, where's your nickname? I know.
3: Come on, old Martha. Someone, if you know Martha Jones's nickname, please tell us. Maybe it just wasn't recorded because the Cockney Championess won. But, I mean, it was definitely women's boxing, women's fighting. It was definitely considered abhorrent and a sideshow, and it was treated as such. Even in the 1904 Olympics, women's boxing was just an exhibition, while men's, of course, was part of the official competition.
2: Yeah, I mean, you still have stuff like women's topless boxing, which, ow.
3: (laughs) I know, just hopefully they have, I'm sure they have rules. And despite the attitudes, though, that existed about, or maybe because of, uh, women's participation in boxing and, and weightlifting and wrestling, we have one of our first celebrities in America in the early 20th century, and that's pro-strongwoman Katie Sandwina. And Steffi Miston History Class did an episode on her, but we also talked about Sandwina in our last episode on women and weightlifting. Uh, but Sanduino was another case who you know, maybe she's the original Rousey, even though she didn't fight, she was a weightlifter and a strong woman. Um, she also had that case of being incredibly strong and having these, you know, quote unquote, masculine abilities. Uh, but her beauty was touted above just about anything else. And uh, news outlets, uh, that sounds like a modern term, writers, journalists at the time, talked about her maternal skills and instincts and the fact that she had these children and she was still motherly. Don't worry, everyone. She's got a, a large head, which puts her beautiful feet. Features into stark relief. She's not too muscly, not too fat. She's tall and like a goddess. Well,
2: because they had to sell her that way. Otherwise, she would be considered grotesque. Yeah. If she were divorced from conventional femininity, then this woman, who I love, that one of her like her party tricks, so to speak, was lifting her husband above her head. Mm-hmm. But if she were not as pretty as she was. She would have been more of a freak show attraction than a Ringling Brothers, you know, center
3: stage attraction. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think just to put in perspective the tone that was still used, Uh, Decades and decades and decades after that first fight, that first boxing match in England in 1926, England's conservative home secretary worked tirelessly to prevent a woman's boxing match from taking place, saying he never thought that such a disgraceful
0: exhibition
3: would be staged in this country.
0: Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh, my God. We've all been there. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free
0: zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime.
3: So clearly, uh, women's boxing, not catching on with everyone. Yeah, no, it's the whole don't hit a girl thing. Even even
2: girls can't hit girls. We can scratch each other's eyeballs out and pull hair, but no punching.
3: Well, don't, yeah, don't hit women. Women shouldn't hit each other. Not in public, not dressed like that. Please go back home. This is too masculine. Well, and, and punching someone in the face, too. Oh, that's a
2: woman's prize is her face. How could you do that? Um, when we get into the 1940s and 50s, though, we do see women's wrestling and roller derby. What up to all of our stuff, Mom? Never told you roller derby enthusiasts. I know you're out there because we hear from you. Um, these really start to become big things, which helped usher in boxing. Because think about these kinds of contact sports; um, it's not so
3: surprising that 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 makes more of a way for boxing to happen. Yeah, and so then you get you start to see more um, sort of legit. Uh, women's boxing celebrities rise at this time. You've got the four foot eleven battling Barbara Buttrick, aka the mighty Adam, meaning Adam weight. That's a weight class. Uh, she fought bare knuckle matches at fairs in Britain against anyone who'd fight her. Just like, come on up, fight, fight old Barbara. Babs. Yeah. I
0: think we could do a whole
3: podcast on Babs. I want to know more. I think so too. But yeah, she moved to America and that's when she went pro. I think America had slightly different attitudes toward boxing, not that it was, you know, in everybody's living rooms, but slightly different attitudes than they had in England. She ended up winning one of the first of Texas's boxing licenses for women, and she and the other one, I think there there was just one other one, uh, ended up going head to head, and when Buttrick won, she became the world's first woman boxing champ, and I think it's worth noting, too, that for her last fight in 1960, she was four months pregnant. Barbara! The four-foot-eleven Barbara Battlin' Buttrick Was four months pregnant. Meanwhile,
2: in England, no offense, British listeners, women's boxing was still more of a titillating freak show. And women boxers were often on the same bill... As topless fighters, so yeah. it's, it's just a novelty, women beating each other up.
3: All these, like, backroom bar brawls where women, you know, it's the same thing with, like, cockfighting, <laughs> jello wrestling, mud wrestling. It's like, oh, my God, look at the woman boxer. It's such a gross anomaly, but we're turned on at the same time. Um, but it's interesting, because once the 1990s hit... Uh, hey, that's a good pun. Oh, wow. I didn't even mean to do that. Oh, my God. I'm finally I'm finally getting there with the pun. You got the stuff, kid. Finally. Um, But women's pro boxing uh, starts to get more legit, as do girls and women's wrestling teams. It's obviously still not fully accepted, but it's becoming more legitimate. More legitimate clubs are forming around these activities. In England, for instance, in 1996, the Amateur Boxing Association lifted its 116-year ban on female fighters. And in 1998, Jane Couch became the first legal professional boxer. Around the same time, but a little bit earlier in the U.S., USA Boxing finally lifts its ban on women, followed by the Amateur International Boxing Association. And around the same time, we start to see women entering MMA. So the technical history of mixed martial arts goes back for a
2: very long time because it's a combination of these very ancient sports like judo and also boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, wrestling, and grappling, which I feel like that's just something I, I do on a
3: daily basis, <laughs> mentally. Grappling with reality, I know. You're a champ, though. You're the woman's number one world champ. Oh, thanks. Of grappling with reality. I have a look
2: of shock on my face right now, <laughs> listeners. I can't even see myself, but I can feel it.
3: Um Yeah, and, and, you know, Krista mentioned judo. And, indeed, many of the early women who went into MMA had judo backgrounds, as does Ronda Rousey, like we mentioned. Um And so, you know, I mentioned how uh the mid-'90s, that's when women start getting into MMA. Well, UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship Promoting uh, Company, Started in 93, and of course it's all dudes, and around this time it's interesting that looking at UFC and MMA, the American Medical Association also called it abhorrent. Yeah,
2: Senator John McCain even like spoke out against it at one point, just because it is so,
3: so violent, and there are technically no rules. Well, there used to be no rules. There were no weight classes, no rules. It's basically like, just go in there and try. Try not to kill him. Um, but eventually, to be taken seriously as a sport, not just a spectacle, which, of course, is still a spectacle. Uh, they had to have, you know, rules in place to keep you from
2: dying. So now a referee can intervene if it looks like someone is about to be...
3: A little too clobbered sure and yeah and then you have the weight class divisions and things to make it to make it more like the rules of boxing so to speak but it's not until 2007 that women's MMA, Catches on thanks to Showtime broadcasting a fight featuring Gina Carano, who we mentioned earlier. And Carano's career starts to gain steam, and UFC rival Strikeforce ends up sponsoring another fight on Showtime. She eventually crosses over into film with the 2011 movie Haywire, which I meant to see. I never saw. Neither did I. Oh, I wonder if it was any good.
2: Listeners, let us know. Let us know. Uh, Then in 2011, not so long ago... UFC president Dana White vowed that women would never fight in his organization. And why? Here we go. Quote, I went to a fight up in Northern California about eight or nine years ago, and I saw this woman that looked like Chuck Liddell fight this girl who looked like she had about five Tybo classes. So essentially saying there's not enough
3: skill out there and it would be unsexy to do it. Basically, if you don't look like a supermodel and or you can't throw a punch, what's the point? But there were
2: octagon girls Mm -hmm. who were the sexily clad, attractive women who would, you know, between the
3: rounds, walk, walk around the octagon and hold up their little cards. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, people who are fans of boxing and other things like that shouldn't be surprised by that. But. Dana White does change his tune. Obviously, I mean, spoiler, Ronda Rousey is a champion fighter. Uh, she, though, is specifically the one who got White to change his tune. And I love, semi-sarcastically,
2: the way he puts it, saying, this whole women's power movement that's going on right now is crazy. Ronda has been the whole thing. Ronda is the one that launched this whole thing. I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for Ronda. She's the one that convinced me to do it, and it's the best decision I've ever made. Because it's putting money in his pocket. Yeah. So, of course he loves it. Yeah. So, how did Ronda Rousey come to be? She did not come out of the womb, you know, <laughs> body slamming people. She didn't come out of
3: Zeus's head fully formed. <laughs> yeah. But practically... Yeah, so Rousey's a second-generation judo player. Uh, her mom, Anne Maria DeMars, in 1984, was the first American, male or female, just the first American to win gold at the World Judo Championship. And Rousey, thanks to her training, was ranked number one in America at just 16 years old. She dropped out of high school, and she's talked about how, you know, even as a teenager, people rooted against her because she was so dominant As an American girl in a sport that was overwhelmingly European and Asian. And her
2: success has had a lot to do with her mom's really intensive approach to training. Mm -hmm. I mean, she talked about at one point how when she was in middle or high school, where she would have sometimes up to 15 bouts every day. And in between, her mom would not allow her to talk to other kids. She would have to go and sit down and focus on winning. Whoa, That's isolating. It's is very isolating. And we, we've read a lot about how Ronda Rousey is known for crying. She cries all the time. And she says it's partially because of how, I mean, it's kind of emotionally triggering for her because she didn't always like Having to do all of this this judo all the time when she yeah. was a
0: kid. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, <laughs> then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day.
0: Oh, my God, we've all been there.
1: Pantene's Rosewater Collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions, when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use... Shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection.
0: Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, No foul, no foul! With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports.
3: Um, but all of that judo paid off in 2008 at the Beijing Olympics she won the bronze and she was the first American woman to medal in judo and she ended up opting out of training for the 2012 games so she had her whole future in front of her she's like I can't be an Olympian forever what am I going to do am I going to go to college should I join join the Coast Guard I could jump out of helicopters and save people or should I go pro MMA what happened Caroline? I have no idea spoilers she joined the Coast Guard nope no. In 2010, she makes the decision to go for for uh, MMA. She trains with a judo competitor who'd earned a UFC contract. She learns the basics of boxing and Mai Thai, and she starts out in amateur fights. But the thing is, opponents weren't really so sure about going up against an Olympian who could hold her own against dudes at her gym. Her first fight lasted just 30 seconds and earned her eighteen hundred dollars. Then
2: in 2011, she joins the Strikeforce roster, seeing it as a launching pad to UFC. And then in 2012, she and opponent Misha Tate build up anticipation for their fight through interviews and sniping at each other over social media. And, I mean, this was something, though, that was also predicated by them both being coaches on a UFC reality show and, I mean... Ronda Rousey did not mask any of her loathing for Tate. And when the fight happens, Rousey dominates, no surprise, and UFC takes notice.
3: That's right. And so later on that year, they end up signing her. And on top of that, they announced they're building a woman's bantamweight division, which is 125 to 135 pounds, centered around her. So they're from the get-go establishing her as the star. And it was really her growing fame that eased Dana White's skepticism about including women in his organization. Because you have to keep in mind that the year that she joined the strike force roster – and she talks about how, like, I envisioned going to UFC after this. That was the same year that he was like, nope, no women, never. So this woman is clearly determined. Um, But also her coaching stint on that reality show, you know, her fame is growing. She's posing nude in magazine. She's giving lots of interviews. She's dominating other fighters. And she's becoming the main attraction on pay-per-view fights. All of this, which, of course, you know, equal sign, Dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. It's definitely serving to ease white skepticism about including women, but
2: this is also what's led a lot of fans to kind of turn on her because she is very cocky, or at least plays up the cocky arrogance, which is contrasted to her crying or because she's known to to just weep,
3: yeah, a lot. But also, she's become she's become the heel. Right. So because she nobody can beat her, she's almost become sort of this villain, her cockiness and her confidence, plus the fact that she, you know, never loses. People are sort of painting her to be the villain. And, and I think part of her, uh, this New Yorker interview with her was so fantastic. Part of her loves it and loves the attention and says screw them. And then the other part of her is like, but, but why are they booing me? I'm so good and not a mean person. Yeah, she says, whenever people talk
2: about how cocky and arrogant I am, it blows me away because I worked so hard to develop self-confidence. Because one thing we didn't mention a few minutes ago was how when she was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck, which led to some brain damage. And she did not speak until she was six years old. And one of the reasons why she cries so often is because the only way she could communicate during that time that she needed something in that moment was by crying.
3: Oh, what does she need? She had a hug. Food? Yeah, probably a hug. Maybe a break from training. An ice pack. Um, but, yeah, she's also deeply affected by her father's suicide. When, when she was a child, he got her into swimming. And it wasn't until his death that she switched over to her mother's sport. And so that transition was deeply emotional for her. And... That This is also all compounded by the fact that when she was competing in judo as a teen, that pressure to make weight made her insecurity over her already athletic and different body so much worse. And so she became bulimic. But now because of that experience and overcoming that experience, she holds fundraisers for eating disorder clinics. And she showed up. This is a, an oft told tale. She showed up for her Maxim cover shoot, 16 pounds over her 135 pound fighting weight, so as not to glorify her body in a quote unquote unhealthy state. Yeah, and you got to appreciate that about her, that she is
2: very open about having dealt with an eating disorder. I mean, I'm sure it's an ongoing issue for her being in a weight class that she has to maintain. And. I, I I wonder too, how she processes her physical appearance playing such a role in her fame.
3: Yeah, absolutely. and but this is nothing new. Women fighters' appearances playing a role in their fame and success, and even their access to resources to be fighters is nothing new. I mean, uh, not to harp too much. On boxing, but that's where most of the studies are. I mean, there's not a ton of studies, obviously, on women in MMA. Um, But there was a 1997 Journal of Sport and Social Issues study that looked at women in boxing trying to balance that whole masculine pugilism with femininity. And in interviews with 12 women, they found that these women are quite aware of the numerous stereotypes that uh, exist about them as a result of their participation in a so-called deviant sport, deviant for your gender norms. And they found that these women use uh, a lot of strategies to sort of manage their identity in an effort to remain marketable because it's not just about whether you're a good fighter who can throw a punch. You also have to be marketable. Women uh, have to be both beautiful and like, three times more incredible uh, to get that sort of sponsorship to get promoted in boxing and wrestling and now MMA. Uh, this study also found that women have to they know that they need to balance their public identity. They can't appear too masculine or too feminine or else face negative sanctions. Those are ma- mainly meaning like social sanctions, people turning on them, if you appear to one way or the other. Well, and I wonder how much of that, too, has to do
2: with the audience. I would assume yeah. that for both boxing and MMA, well, there are plenty of female fans. There are probably a lot more male fans out there. So maybe that tightrope is, is even more elevated because of that.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you've got so when you search for you know, women's MMA, if you just Google women's MMA or top women in MMA, the stuff that you find most often is like 10 hottest women in MMA, 10, you know, busty fighters, blah, blah, blah. And I found a men's fitness magazine article that was like the 10 top MMA women's MMA. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Great. Let's see what they have to say. And so I was clicking through and and I just realized, oh, it's just, it's just more of the same because even though it wasn't build outright is like look at these hot busty babes in every description it it would show so it, like the picture would be this woman at the top of her game like throwing a punch looking really tough but the description would be like here's so and so showing off her butt here's so and so looking so hot in that sports bra and it's like uh this is the only is this really the only way that this sport will get
2: covered <laughs> I'm wincing yeah because it seems like for now, yes, to some extent. Yeah,
3: it seems like women's MMA can't really get elevated beyond those old school attitudes about women boxing in the back rooms of bars or jello wrestling or mud wrestling or topless boxing in the back rooms of bars. Um And so that's why it's so disheartening to see stuff like in Men's Fitness Magazine where it's Purporting to show these great athletes and, and talking about their athleticism, but it's not. There's no focus on their athleticism. The focus is still on that titillation factor and how attractive or unattractive or, you know, fit or curvy they
2: are. And it's no surprise then that another study that came out in fall 2004 in qualitative sociology found that women competitive boxers are both enabled and constrained in how they perform their gender, um, and, and the author talks about how uh, there's physical feminism that allows women to transcend these traditional discourses that limit their physical power. So we would see that sort of enacted in how you know Ronda Rousey is beating out, for instance, Floyd May- Mayweather for best fighter at the ESPYS. But at the same time, there's still that limitation because of discourse about our feminine bodies and how women are often penalized for being aggressive.
3: Yeah, and no matter how much women train, they're just never seen as better than men or as good as men, even. Well, and that goes back to old Tank Abbott, make mm-hmm. me a sandwich, saying, no, nah, you're never going to... God dare any woman to fight me. Well, because there's... The general perception of women's MMA, like I was just saying, is that it's still this sideshow, sort of. I mean, Ronda Rousey's an incredible athlete, as are many of her opponents. But until we get past this thing of, like, oh, well, women's MMA and women's participation in UFC is purely a platform for Rousey and everything else is just so that we can look at half-naked women hitting each other. Until we are actually able to appreciate their athleticism for what it is and take them seriously as athletes, it's just going to stay this sideshow. And tank abbots of the world are still just going to tell women fighters to make them sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, I will say that there is, at least to my eye, Nothing
2: sexy at all in the presentation of those, you know, bantamweight UFC fighters. I mean, their hair's back and they've got on their, you know, sports bras and shorts and it's just like going for it. And there's almost barely any time to even try to objectify them. Um, but you gotta wonder. What is next? Where are Rousey and UFC going with all this? Because um, UFC is expanding its options for women by adding a straw weight division, which is 106 to 115 pounds. And international listeners, I'm so sorry that we don't have these kilogram conversions at the ready for you right now.
3: But So they're adding a straw weight division, but there's nothing for the heavier fighters. And that's a shame because coming up behind Rousey, you've got Kayla Harrison who won the gold in judo at the 2012 Olympics. Those Olympics that Rousey opted out of training for. And the problem though, coming up behind Ronda Rousey, is that Harrison weighs in at 155, meaning she can't fight Rousey. They're not in the same weight class, so she can't get that sort of fame platform that even fighting Rousey at all gives you. And she might not have enough UFC appeal. She said, fans don't want to see us big girls out there. It doesn't matter what I have to offer as an athlete. Part of the gig is that I'm also pretty and good in front of a camera and marketable. It's up to the MMA gods to decide that. I feel like that sums the whole thing up
2: right there. Fans don't want to see big girls out there. There's still that... That balancing act of the feminine versus the masculine, like you said,
3: you know, about that study, you can't have too much of one or the other. And I mean, on on the good side, there is um, Invicta Fighting Championships, which is the largest all women's MMA organization. They started in 2012 as a platform for pro fighters to compete consistently. However, it's still sort of treated as a platform to get to UFC but until UFC expands and includes more weight classes for women um, or until Ronda Rousey retires to go make movies or do whatever she's doing, um, I just don't know how many more women are going to be able to actually make that leap. And I'm not saying they can't. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying that until there's more room for them, both socially and like literally uh, letting them into weight classes, I'm just wondering how many more women we will see becoming huge MMA names.
2: Well, what do you think as we close out our convo? What do you think about her having been so quickly elevated to feminist
3: icon status? I think this is (laughs) exactly this is what I said back when we did our episode on Beyonce, which is that people are looking for a feminist hero. And Beyonce is not everybody's cup of tea and neither is Ronda Rousey. And what I said back in the Beyonce episode was that there will be other cupcakes because the story I told in that episode was like the way that I talk myself out of like overspending at the store. If I see a sweater I like and I'm like, oh, my God, I have to have that sweater. Or if I'm in the break room at work and somebody's brought cupcakes, it's like, oh, my God, I have to have that cupcake. It's like, no, you don't. There will be other cupcakes. There will be other sweaters. There will be other feminists. Um, We don't have to so desperately apply the label of feminist hero to someone like Ronda Rousey, because really that just elevates her to a point of like, oh, well, but now we hate her because she said all these transphobic things. I am not... Absolutely not excusing her for any of the transphobic and trans things that she said. I think they're despicable. And obviously, I disagree with them. Um, is she a role model for girls in sports? Yeah, for sure. Has she ever said she's a feminist? Again, not that we're aware of. Can she still be a role model? Yes. Should we treat our role models as heroes up on platforms? Maybe not. I think we need to take some of that with a grain of salt.
2: Yeah, I think it's also a case study in prematurely applying labels. And by virtue of that, like you said, having unrealistic expectations based on that.
3: Yeah, people are not perfect and we shouldn't
2: look for them to be. Although, Caroline, I am going to say that Ronda Rousey is no Beyonce. Okay, Ronda Rousey is very tough, but Beyonce is the queen. (laughs) That's all I'm gonna say about that. Kristen, I never meant to imply. And if if you're about to write me a letter to uh to argue, I don't wanna read it. <laughs> but I am curious to hear from other listeners about her because I mean like she's everywhere mm-hmm. right now. And curious to know thoughts on her role model status and also just this general idea of women in MMA. I mean, there is something a little bit uncomfortable for me watching MMA in general but also advocating for women to get in an octagon and beat each other up Yeah. so lots of thoughts share with us momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address you can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast or message us on Facebook and we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now <laughs>
3: Well, I have a letter here uh, from Leanne in response to our maternity leave episode. Uh, She says, I work for Leap. I'm going to I'm going to leave it out. I don't want Leanne to get in trouble. Uh, One of the largest employers in my city. I took maternity leave in July 2014. We get six weeks short-term disability and get paid 60% of our pay, then we have the option to take another six weeks unpaid FMLA for a total of 12. I chose to take the full 12 weeks and it was an extreme financial burden even though I was able to use paid time off for four of the weeks I had saved up for over a year. Upon returning to work, which was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, my manager said to me, I can't believe you think you needed 12 weeks. You American women are so lazy. I absolutely love my job, and it was still hard leaving my new baby at home, so to hear that really had an impact on me. I desperately need my job and know that I'm lucky to have the benefits I do, considering I don't have a college education, so all I could do was hang my head and return to work. Leanne, Now, I actually read a response to Leanne, basically telling her that I couldn't believe that someone would have the gall to say that because it's so incredibly insensitive. Well, Leanne is not the only mom
2: we've heard from who has gotten the the lazy implication from a superior. So I've got a letter here from Callie also about that podcast. Um, She writes... Uh, first of all, I was kind of surprised you never mentioned the very recent example Ray Mabus has set for the rest of the federal government by guaranteeing 18 weeks of paid maternity leave for all active duty Navy and Marines. Hooray. She writes, I'm one of the lucky recipients of this policy. My son, Theodore, cute name, side note, was born on April 7th, and I was on my six weeks of maternity leave when Mr. Mabus made his announcement. My feelings at the time were mixed excitement and guilt. I wanted to spend time with my family, but I also knew that while I was out, someone else at work would have to manage my responsibilities for me, and I didn't feel like I had earned that time off. It didn't help knowing that my coworkers would take issue with it. Many of them have small children of their own, but didn't qualify for the extra leave either because their babies were too old or because they were civilian contractors and not active duty military. Once I dealt with those issues, my husband and I decided it would be best for our family if I took my remaining 60 days of leave spread out over a period of time. So I began taking two to three days off per week, essentially working part-time hours. I worked out a plan with my superiors that would allow me to do this and still take care of my responsibilities at work, but it was made very clear to me that my performance evaluation would suffer severely and my chances for advancement would be minimal. To me, it's worth the loss there to be spending more time with my children. When the word spread to my superiors' superiors, things got more difficult. They said that this wasn't the intended use of the maternity leave policy, and they suggested I work with my superiors to develop a plan that does fit their interpretation without ever telling me what that intent is or putting a policy in place that outlines the rules as they see them. So it seems I just have to guess at what they mean. It's so funny to me that it's considered lazy to take maternity Leave. I do so much more work when I'm at home than when I'm at work. I'm constantly changing diapers, making food, and cleaning all the time. Being a military family and thousands of miles away from our extended families makes it hard, too. We're very blessed to be able to have visits from our mothers a few times a year, but otherwise we have no village to help raise our children. So thank you, Callie, and to everyone who has written into to us, especially on that issue of maternity and parental leave. We've heard from so many of you, and it's so clear that the system is broken. So again, if you want to share some cheerful stories with us, stuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can send them. For links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links to our sources so you can learn more about Rhonda Rowdy Rousey, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other
1: topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.